and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. I am Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, the website, and Glacially Musical, the YouTube channel. With me, as always, is Duncan Evans, who is Duncan Evans, the solo artist, and Duncan Evans, the hiding solo artist from Moonlow. How are you doing today? Hey, hey, hey. I am not doing badly at all. I have freshly dyed my hair and it's staining my forehead, as you can probably see, because you're looking at me on the, on the Zoom. But um, yeah, it's all good. Busy, busy, doing lots of music, um, bits of writing, um, bits of mixing, bits of production. Um, it's all good fun, you know? Uh, for me, this is, it's been an, it's been an odd week. Um, Two weeks in a row, nothing terrible has happened in my life, in That's my good. personal life, which is great. So I've had two stable weeks. We, My best friend came over. We did a socially distanced as best as we could and masked, uh, working downstairs in the basement. We have these new shelves we've got to put up. We are still doing renovations on our duplex. We are looking around at other things and all kinds of life changes going forward. This weekend, we had to go look at a house we're trying to sell and all kinds of great stuff like that. But I was able to parlay working on that this morning, waking up early enough to make get my notes done for today's show and convince my wife to let me buy the new Iron Maiden live album, which I am excited because it came out the same day as Pink Floyd's Del Expanded Delicate Sound of Thunder. I made my choice. I chose Delicate Sound, figuring I would be able to get Legacy of the Beast anytime down the road. Uh, no, that thing sold out in a day. Wow. Okay. And market value on the internet is now $75. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, which, I'm not, which I'm not going to pay for this album. And a local record store, I discovered it last week, uh, CD Warehouse, which I probably mentioned before. They had four copies of it and they only wanted 35 bucks. So got one. Yeah. So for the first okay. time, I really can't wait to get this session over so I can listen to it. Because I got home 15 minutes before we started. <laughs> nice. Nice. What do we have? Sounds good, man. Sounds good. So tell everybody what we got going on today. Okay. Um, so we have um well, we have a special guest um today. Um who we're going to bring in in a minute. And um today's album choice is actually the choice of our special guests um so um do you want to tell us who the special guest is nick we have richie randall of the extreme underground metal band grave huffer to be quite honest i don't know what else to call them they i, I actually got the album that he's going to be talking about later his album this week and it's it's amazing it's completely insane but it's a really really fun album Excellent. And I know I'm going to be chatting to him on an Instagram live uh, soon as well. So so that's cool. Um, his choice of album for us to listen to today, his choice of forgotten album is Rockerola by Judas Priest, which is the first Judas Priest album from 1974. And um, it, it really is largely forgotten to the point where a lot of Judas Priest fans don't really know this album. I'm sure the Uber fans do, but um, it's really not considered to be, it's, it's almost not considered to be part of their back catalogue. It's been um, almost written out of history in, in some ways. Um, so there we go. 
Did you catch that? The the album was re-released in 1984 with a different cover. I did. And not only was it a different cover, but that cover um, was had, had already been used. It's like a fantasy cover of a, a kind of creature. I get almost like an, a futuristic orc or goblin with kind of robot wings and a sword. Um, and it had already been used as a uh, the cover to a book, a fantasy fiction book by Michael Moorcock. Um, yeah, so it was d- d- done by, um, hang on, I'm just trying to find who did it. Melvin Grant, that's right. Um, and it also, later on, again, the same cover, again, the same image, got used for a computer game called Ballistics. That was, was a... Released- that was a video game on the TurboGrafx-16 system, which is a system that I personally loved, but it just kind of came and went. It just was, so it just, it just, it made me giggle that that cover was used so many times. And I gotta tell you, this cover makes no sense to this album. Yeah, I mean, that cover, the fantasy cover is, is weird. I mean, it, it kind of ties in with Judas Priest's later stuff, although, even then, I would say it's kind of, kind of a bit odd, uh, a little bit um, whimsical, a little bit more um, sort of swords and sorcery esque than than quite what what they did later on. Um, even though they did use some of that imagery, uh, but usually it was a bit more demonic kind of uh, stuff they maybe used later on. I find I it know. interesting that in, I'm not the biggest Judas Priest fan by any stretch. I don't think either of us are really. No, sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not either. You know, I appreciate them, but no, I'm certainly not an, an Uber fan at all. You know, I've, I've got, a, I've got an admiration and respect, but I also don't have a whole lot of their material. But I always found it interesting that they use so much of that imagery. Like when you look at Painkiller, when you look at Stained Class, when you look at the cover of this album, the music doesn't match that. It's yeah, it's not like Dio where. You know, you, Dio, the cover of Dio's Holy Diver is a priest in chains being thrown into a lake. Okay, that, that checks out. You know, last in line, there's the devil and a giant lion in front of him. I mean, all that stuff checks out. But it, with priest, it never really matched. Yeah, there's always been that that thing with um, with sort of hard rock and heavy metal artists. They're, and I guess ever since sort of Led Zeppelin, so since the, since the late 60s, you've, you've had this... Um, this dualism between the kind of rock and roll stylings where we're talking about the imagery of like Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, the blues artist kind of updating that whether we're talking about, I don't know, fast cars, we're talking about, you know, love and sex, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about all these type of type of uh, rock and roll uh, bits of imagery. But then the other side of that has been the the sort of fantastical side. So you've got Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant's lyrics referencing um, Lord of the Rings and things like that. Um, and I guess there's a choice if you're going to be, a, if you're a hard rock heavy metal band in the late 70s, early 80s, you've kind of got to choose which one to go with or you've got to try and mix them. Uh, and for me, when when they mix those styles, it's a bit strange. It's like, for example, um, okay, Saxon, that's an example. The imagery on the album covers is all very much 
like sort of um, fant fantasy versions of the Middle Ages. You've got axes and swords and wizards and things like that. But then the lyrics are kind of more about, uh, they're just kind of standard rock and roll lyrics a lot of the time. Same with Manowar often, although Manowar kind of did both. They did some of the fantasy lyrics and some of the rock and roll lyrics. Um, and I, I guess we're onto that with, with Judas Priest as well, where maybe the lyrics are still, still more down the rock and roll route, but that imagery is like the sci-fi and the fantasy on the album covers. Um, that was a very long-winded way around of saying that, but there we go. It's fine. You know, we when we do these podcasts, we want to make sure we get all the information in and everybody has something to listen to, especially since personally I listen to podcasts on my lunch break. And yeah, sometimes I need to fill a full hour. So it, it checks out. Um, Judas Priest, though, they, they never really had a niche, lyrically speaking. Mm. And when I think of Judas Priest, I don't think of their album covers. I think of their onstage look, because as we all know, Judas Priest created the heavy metal leathers and spikes look. They were the, the first ones to do it because that's what Rob Halford was into. Yeah, for sure, man. Except on this record. <laughs> yeah. With, if you, <clears throat> real quick, for everybody listening, pause real quick. Google Judas Priest 1975. Yes, they they were what was described as hippified by um, they, uh, it was Malcolm Dome after having seen them on the old Grey Whistle test. Yeah, man, they do not look like Judas Priest. Let's just say that they look more like Leonard Skinner or something like that, or Queen. No, no, they look no, not even Queen. Queen had a look. This was not a look. This was just. It reminded me, because if memory serves, and, I, and I'm actually taking my own advice and I'm Googling what I just said to Google right now, there is a picture of Rob wearing, I want to say, a silk kimono. Yes, the black and white photo. There yes. it is. No, it's a velvet. I apologize. It is a velvet kimono. Yeah. Um, no, I'm going to go ahead and say you were right about Skinnerd. I'm, I'm looking at this photo, and this looks like Leonard Skinnerd. Yeah, it strangely does, doesn't it? It's weird. It, it looks like what we depicted hippies as in the 80s in America. So whenever they were on a sitcom, they brought in the hippies. They look like Judas Priest from 1975. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's weird. and kind of out of date for the time. Um, it was... Well. But there was a, this album comes out in 1974. And in 1974, Kiss is still playing hippie-fied music, just turned up till 10, just turned up to 10. If you listen to their first couple of albums, there's a lot of open chords, a lot of big jangly stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a lot, <clears throat> there's a lot of big jangly stuff, but it just, <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> sorry, sorry. I had a frog in my throat there. Um, Duncan, take you. You take over for a second. Yeah, no, no worries, Nick. Yeah, sorry. Ap apologies. Um, yeah, man. So 
Judas Priest, yeah, in 1974, yes, looking very, very hippified. They had not got their look sorted out at all. Um, also, we talked about the reissue cover from 1984, but the original cover um, is it's quite a cool album cover. But again, it's nothing like the album covers that Judas Priest went on to do. It's, it's very unmetal. Because um, I guess this this was before heavy metal was really defined as a as a genre. Um, you know, the early seventies were still talking about. So this album cover is like um, a Coca Cola bottle top, the classic Coca Cola um, uh, bottle top. Just when it says Rockerola instead of Coca Cola, and it says Judas Priest in the corner. And I believe it was originally um, intended, yeah, it's done by a guy called John Pash or John Pache, and it was going to be used on a Rolling Stones album, which uh, an unspecified Rolling Stones album, so who knows? I thought that uh, was a really neat, a really neat tie-in that, that that, it was actually, a, a, it's funny because an album called Rockerola, which is, you know, based off Coca-Cola, it's hysterical to me that the cover was actually recycled. Yeah, 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 exactly. But anyway, to, to go back to my previous point before I got a frog in my throat, you know, you were, you're pointing out it was out of little out of date for the time. Picture Led Zeppelin in 1974. This is the Houses of the Holy Tour. This is right before Robert Plant breaks his legs. And they can't tour. And he's wearing big, wide open shirts. Jimmy Page is wearing the big satin stuff. And look at Leonard Skinner. You got the guy with the crazy hat. So it's when the, the decades change, it, there's there's always some residue and it takes a while before things really change. Look at, you know, when you look at the 80s and metal, it wasn't until actually Judas Priest really exercised the blues out of metal with, with Defenders of the Faith, or was it Stained Glass? I forget which one. And so yeah, they were seemingly a little, they were in and out of date at the same time. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very odd look, but what makes it so weird is when you think about Judas Priest, because when I picture Judas Priest in my head, I don't even picture the Breaking the Law video. I picture Rob Halford on stage in the leather motorcycle cap with metal on the leather vest and the leather chaps and that's yeah. how, that's what I see in my head. Same here, yeah, absolutely. It's it's iconic, isn't it? More iconic than the album covers, really. Completely. The album covers are they're not bad. They're good covers. They're just superfluous. And it's yeah. it's it's a lot like you know going back to Kiss. It's a lot like Kiss. Kiss's album covers are superfluous. Nobody remembers their covers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In twenty albums, they've had one or two good ones. That's it. Judas Priest has had bunches of good ones, but nobody remembers them. We remember what the band looks like and what the band sounds like, and that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Going, so go ahead. No, I was just going to say a, just a couple of other little um, points of trivia about this uh, this first Priest album. So it was produced by Roger Bain, who did Black Sabbath's first three. Um, it was played entirely live in the studio apparently so no overdubs I'm, I'm not sure whether there's literally zero overdubs but that's what it seems to say on in the information I've I've um, found which is impressive because it's it's pretty tight you know um there was a guy called Al Atkins who was the previous singer 
who's still credited as songwriter um, on some of the songs, not all of them. Uh, so, so Rob Halford was very much the newest member. Um, Tipton, and was. Tipton was. Say again? Oh, T Glenn Tipton was the new... Oh, sorry, was even newer than Rob Halford. Right, okay. Um, but Halford was still pretty new. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and basically it flopped at the time. So they had a record deal and all that, but it sold only a few thousand, which was way below expectations. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's, that's, um, that's what I've got. Um, and that's what I uh, found out before listening, because I had not heard this record until I listened earlier today. I hadn't either. And I'm actually really thankful for, for Richie to recommend this one to us because it's something... It's something I think we, well, we'll get into that later, but it, it's so odd to hear Judas Priest sound this way. It's a lot like when we, when we did the, the um, Quiet Riot albums and we were listening to nascent Quiet Riot and nascent Randy Rhodes at the same time. And yeah. I found it um, interesting. Yeah, sorry to use that word. I'll come up. I'll come up with a better adjective one day. It was a, it was an interesting bit of trivia. The producer getting the same producer as the first three Black Sabbath records. So obviously he sees that this is a metal band. Yeah, because, you know, obviously the the label sees them as one of the or something along the lines of Black Sabbath. But Black Sabbath was very bluesy, and this is a much bluesier album. And the fact that there's any blues on it at all is surprising. And it, it seems very Led Zeppelin influenced to me. There's a lot of jangly on there. It's not heavily overdriven. It's to even call this a metal album would be wrong if you ask me. I th do you know what I think? I think it's right on the border. I, I would say that there are there's probably two or three songs which I think could be described as heavy metal. Um, but then th there's a lot that harks right back to blues rock, and it's like they just hadn't got it worked out yet. They that they were kind of laying out a few different cards on the table, um, which were different directions that they were kind of interested in going in and they hadn't quite worked out which one they were going to stick with and really pursue um and yes. i guess it was 1974 as well so i guess i guess the, the, the sound of metal hadn't quite solidified you know as, as a genre or as a style yet but but yeah they, they just hadn't quite worked out which one of these different um routes they really wanted to to go down if this album had been recorded six months sooner or six months later, it would be a very different album. Either way. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. There, you, I can hear the evolution of the band as they're going along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I would say there are a few parts of a few songs that really do give you a flavor of what Judas Priest became both sort of riff-wise and vocally um, and songwriting-wise. But, but a lot of it isn't. A lot of it's very un-Judas Priest. There's, a, there's one song, and you know we'll get to it on the track by track, where it's just, 
it, it's not even the band, but it's Halford. Where Halford is singing, and I'm like, what in the no, no, Halford should, and he did it well. That's the thing is that he came off well, but it's like, no, you should never ever sound like this. This is not a thing that Robert Halford should sound like. But it's also worthy of pointing out that Tipton, as he was the newest member, had two co writes, but he brought songs to the table, and the producer rejected them for not being commercial enough. Interesting. So, the as they're producing this album, as they're in pre-production, and as they're recording it, they're thinking about it being a hit. And yeah. Judas Priest had hits later, not many, because not many metal. If you get one hit as a metal band, I mean, that's pretty much, you know, that, that's pretty much the Wayne Gretzky of metal right there, unless you're Metallica. And but the idea of them thinking like Rockarola, that song, the idea of that song being a hit. There, how many times have we talked about just that awful, awful kind of lyricism? And Rob Halford wrote that one. You know, Rockarola, yeah. a Rockarola girl for a Rockarola boy, and. But did wonder if, like Joan Jett, later on in life, he he changed if he would have changed the pronouns for that song. But I also would be surprised if Judas Priest would ever play that song again. Yeah, exactly. I think most of these songs they did, they haven't played since the late seventies. Um, although I think one of them, I've forgotten which one, and it's never satisfied, came back up around two thousand and three. Both Halford's solo band and Judas Priest played it around that time, for whatever reason. So wow, that that is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Indeed. All right. So um, we're going to get ready to bring in the guest now, unless you got something else. Oh, let's do that. Absolutely. All right. And we are back. We are now joined with, by, I'm sorry, we are now joined by Richie Randall of Gravehopper. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Well, you weren't here when I mentioned this earlier, so I'll say it now. I convinced my wife to let me buy the new Iron Maiden live album, so I'm having a great day. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm doing well over here, thanks. In Leeds, UK, it's all good. It's all good. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm. Yeah, that's why we always got to do it at this time of this time of the day, because it's, it's hard to, to work it all out. But, right. Uh, want to thank you very much for joining us. You are actually the first guest on the Department of Metal Antiquities, and we greatly appreciate you being able to take some time for us. So why don't, um, why don't you give our listeners a quick rundown of who you are and what you do? Well, I want to thank, thank you once again for having me, and I really appreciate this. And uh, I didn't realize I was the first actual guest and so that's that's really cool quite well, quite I, humbled I apologize real quick that we're bad at this right now but we'll get good <laughs> at it later maybe when your next album drops we'll right right back when we're good at it no no it's all good it's all good um i'm good because we're not I, getting good at it <laughs> yeah it's really cool and I, I appreciate you guys having me um my name is richie randall and 
I play guitar in a metal, punk, whatever, extreme music band called Grave Huffer. We're out of Joplin, Missouri, and we've been doing this since 2008. Uh, kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, time just flies, man, when you're having fun. So, yeah, we just did release a new album called Necro Eclosion on Black Doomba Records. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been an interesting last year, as everyone obviously knows. And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's, you know, I don't have a whole lot of other things to say about it, but, um, but yeah, that, that's why we end up making a new record. And, and, um, there's a little bit of the whole, uh, quarantine COVID-19 thing in the record, but, but mostly it's just doing what we do. And so far people seem to like it. And so, yeah, I'm, again, I'm glad to be here with you guys. You know, normally this this is fake when somebody says this, but I can tell you for sure that it's real and you've seen it. I got a copy of your album. I and I absolutely love that album. It is. Thank you. It, you know, you, you bring up the quarantine, the COVID nineteen. It is a great soundtrack to twenty twenty. <laughs> right. Thank because you. I appreciate that. Twenty twenty one. Well, there there's. If twenty twenty were a movie, this this would do really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's definitely all over the place and um i mean there's a, it's pretty like just crazy sounding and and it's kind of wacky in places it just kind of runs the gamut as far as like emotions and genre styles and, and all that stuff so yeah i appreciate that well yeah. wacky is a big part of what we do here quite honestly Yay. i don't know how much <laughs> you listen to and we're not afraid we're not afraid to kill our children here <laughs> we, have, we have taken it to Tony Iommi. Nice. We've taken it to Jimmy Page. Uh-huh. We have taken it to John Paul Jones. Well, I right. did. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I liked that one. I liked that one. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wacky is always good, you know. Right, right. Yeah. yeah we've, got and... a, we've got a wacky David Lee Roth and a wacky Robert Plant coming soon. Nice. <laughs> I was They've definitely say... been there. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, Richie, where can people um, check out your stuff and maybe buy the album or listen to it or follow you on social media and all that good stuff? Yeah, um, I mean, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, there's a few others, I'm sure. Uh, Bandcamp is where I tend to send people. It's gravehuffer.bandcamp.com. And you'll find all our other links there as well. And you can stream the album for free. I believe it's a free download. And it's available on vinyl and CD. Um, we may do cassette. I'm not sure on that. We did cassette on our last release, and it actually sold really well, surprisingly. And um, so we're talking about it. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, we're on Amazon Music and iTunes and Apple Music, um, and I, Deezer, I say, Napster, all that stuff. I, I say this with, with complete sincerity as well the pressing of this uh, album because i bought it on vinyl as everybody knows well duncan and i are both big vinyl guys yeah and, yeah me too and the pressing on this that album is great there's no sibilance there's no noise it sounds cleaner than the pink floyd record that just came out so oh wow <laughs> that's, that's it's on my setup <laughs> yeah nice. yeah it, it is a really good pressing i was very we were very impressed pun intended with it and so um <laughs> and and yeah uh gz media is who pre who pressed it they're out of the czech republic i believe and um i've seen other it's funny i've went through my vinyl collection and kind of looked through some other things and 
noticed that there are a few records I own that the same company pressed <laughs> and, and it's pretty, yeah. it's, it's pretty wild, you know, it's like, Hey, this company pressed this record and they press my record. And so, yeah, it's, it's yeah, pretty I neat. Think, that's I awesome. think what's great about them is they do small runs. Um, yeah. So yeah, I know they've pressed my records as well. Um, oh, wow. I believe. And I know a few, yeah, I've got a few records from them. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's really cool. Yeah. All right, but yeah, it's interesting what you said about cassette as well, because I've I've released the Moonlow record on cassette, the first cassette release that I've ever done, and yeah, it sells quite well, which is mm-hmm. is crazy to me because I remember cassette <laughs> like from being a kid, and they were never great back then, but but <laughs> yeah, like the novelty factor and the and the nostalgia, so right. you know people are into it, fine. Yes, I don't get cassettes, but right. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to get everything, so that's fine. I'm not going to yuck on anybody else's yum. Right, sure. The Unless they think, like some of these records. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think with with cassettes when they came out, it was like one of those things where you could take your music with you, and yes. the port the portability of it was kind of cool. Because I remember when cassettes were just coming out. And oh yeah. It was like, oh yeah. You know, it was like, I, wow, I, this is. This is really wild. You know, I, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna had a Walkman and which I still got. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. When I was 12 and I played my Black Sabbath live evil cassette in it constantly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I had the whole Walkman thing as well. And I guess it was playing them in your car as well. Like you couldn't play vinyl in your car, but you could play right. in your car. Right. So I, yeah. I get I get it then. I don't get it now. Sure. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I've got to say I agree. I mean, you can't skip tracks. The sound quality, let's face it, is not brilliant. But I, I, do you know what? I think people like that. I think people actually like the fact that it sounds a bit fuzzy and a bit kind of warm and a bit almost old-fashioned. I think there's a nostalgia mm. thing there. Even, and I, I don't know. Even people that weren't around at that time, I think they're nostalgic for a time when uh, you know before they existed when uh, you know technology was a bit different and where things were uh, I don't know almost like an era where everything was in black and white somehow right <laughs> yeah it is it's got like a it's like a relic from a past time or something so I think people are fascinated by that I know um, I'm fascinated by um, some of the old technology as well so you just, it's like, who the hell came up with this, you know? So, you know, I, I say all these things, but I still make my coffee in a percolator. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I have three of Percolated them. Percolated coffee is the best. It is better. It is. I, it really I'm, I'm going to die on this hill. It's better. <laughs> yeah, I, I use a cafetier or French press, and I know I've. French I've, press? Uh, people, people don't like I I think it's great. It works for me, but yeah, people, uh, yeah, people look down their noses at me for doing that, but there you go. I have oh, five of those too. I'll, I'll use those if I just want like one cup or two cups. Sure, sure. But let's, before we run out of time and get away from ourselves and everybody turns us off, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Judas Priest. Before we get started, yes. uh, I want to know, and why did you choose this record? Um, well, I'll just start by saying Judas Priest is probably one of, if not my favorite band of all time. Well, I'm and, glad I'm um, not going to be crapping on this one. Because <laughs> it's like they, um, I mean, they are pretty much the reason I started playing guitar and KK Downing and his Flying V, you know, like all that stuff was brand new to my young little fragile mind, you know? So I was like, 
it just blew me away. And I just like, what the hell is this? And it was unleashed in the East was the one that really kind of got me going with priest. But as far as rock and roll, it's, it sits in such a weird place. It's, and, it, and it's the first album. And you could argue the fact that um, it's like, Oh, it's their first album. They hadn't found their feet yet. But if you know about the history of priest, there were a couple of incarnations with Al Atkins on vocals and, you know, they were already playing, you know, opening for Budgie and Thin Lizzy and stuff like that. And, you know, they were already kind of established. And if I'm memory serves, they were signed to Tony Iommi's management or something. I can't remember exactly when that was, but I, I, I want to think it was before uh, rock and roll came out, but, but yeah, I like the album but for like a completely different reason than I like the rest of their stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, I'd, I'd never heard it before today when I listened. Um, oh, wow. Neither me neither or Nick, we're, we're not really big Judas Priest aficionados. You know, I totally appreciate Judas Priest, but um, I guess like most people who are more kind of casual fans, you know, I, I knew mm. that the latest stuff I had heard of this album and I'd, had it described to me or read read stuff in magazines about what it sounded like. So I kind of knew what to expect, but I hadn't heard it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed listening to it, but I mean, some of it kind of sounds like a, a bit of a version of what was to come with Judas Priest. Right. But loads of it doesn't really. Loads of it sounds totally not like what you'd expect if you know later Judas Priest at it, all. Exactly. exactly. For me, it was a really cool, and, and we'll go through more on the sum up, but it was a pretty cool album. It wasn't what I was expecting. I was uh, expecting more of a hippie flower child kind of thing. Right. Rather than a pseudo Led Zeppelin kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But why don't yeah, you? I can totally see that. Let's go track by track. Okay. Um, do I start? Or? You started. You're leading this. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first song, uh, one for the road. Yeah. That's um, the way that starts. It's got that kind of rolling riff and you were, you were just mentioning Led Zeppelin and man, I could totally see the uh, Led Zeppelin vibe there, you know, completely. And yeah. And it's funny the production Roger Bain produced it and he produced the first couple of what first three Sabbath records. Yep. We were talking and, about that earlier. Yeah. I believe that's why the guys in priest decided to stick with him because, or to go with him because they were, you know, huge Sabbath fans. And, um, you know, I've read Rob Halford's autobiography confess and <laughs> it's kind of, it's actually a really good read. I highly recommend it. But he goes into some of the um, kind of what they went through when they were recording that first record. And um, yeah, one for the road. Um, I guess, like you were saying, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely got that Zeppelin vibe. And, Com- uh, completely. It, yeah. For, for me, it was a blues track. There mm-hmm. was definitely, definitely like a, it was like a really weird Zeppelin knockoff. Yeah, and, for sure. It, it's like almost Zeppelin nothing. <laughs> there, and there was nothing here that reminded me of what Judas what became Judas, uh, what became Judas Priest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was definitely, yeah, sorry, no, no go, go Richie, no. No, I was just going to say that um, at the time they were, they called themselves progressive rock, not progressive rock, progressive blues or something like that. I think that's what they kind of were christening themselves. 
you know that, 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 was, it, that, was that is not pretentious at all <laughs> <laughs> neither neither was the the velvet kimono <laughs> but duncan what do you what do you got for this one yeah, well, look, I mean, it's definitely bluesy. They've got a different drummer who was only on this record. Um, right. Whose name escapes me now. Oh, here we go. John Hinch. John he's Hinch, yep. Drummer. And you know what? It did remind me a little bit of Black Sabbath. There's a bit yes. of that going on. But I tell you who it really reminded me of, Cream. Um, oh, yeah. I never even thought of Cream. Um, even the voice, like, to me... Um, Halford's voice on this sounds like Jack Bruce, uh, on, not on mm -hmm. every track, but on, on this track and on a couple of others. Um, and I know Black Sabbath were really influenced by Cream. So I know it was almost like going full circle with those those influences. Um, yeah, man, I, I liked it. I thought it was a good song. I said maybe after a while it perhaps doesn't vary enough, like they perhaps hadn't quite worked out where to go in different directions you know throw a middle eight in here or a bridge or whatever right. mm -hmm. um but you know cool song but yeah totally blues rock hard rock and yeah it was just screaming out um the, the influence of cream for me on this one yeah i totally get that and i know kk downing is a huge cream fan and um, i've heard ian hill the bass player mention that Jack Bruce was one of his favorite ba bass players. So that, that makes total sense. There you go. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to track two? Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, track two is the title track, uh, Rock a Roller. And um, I've got that, a that really. That title is awful. <laughs> it is. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's funny. Um, the album cover, we'll just talk about that a little bit. Um, it's the pop bottle, like Coca Cola. And I guess the band had zero to do with that. That was all the labels deal. And I guess the band, when they first saw that, they were just horrified. They hated we, it. We talked about this, but we didn't know that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, that's the worst cover ever. We, I like that cover better than the, than the reissue cover. The reissue? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I do too. And the vinyl version I have of Rockarola is like a clear pop bottle um, colored vinyl <laughs> so, nice oh, yeah right. yeah yeah uh-huh it's it, it was a record store day thing last year or something uh but yeah i was like yeah i gotta get that but, but yeah it's rock and roll is that total like blues rock you know it's got the harmonica in it and you know and and it's got it's got i like that funky little part in the middle where they it sounds like they're quoting something familiar i it's like da 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 da. I never can place there, but I didn't know what it was. What the hell is that? That sounds like it's something like from a cartoon. Yeah, or something. Yeah, or a classical piece or something. I don't. I don't know what that is, but I know. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking. Something, or maybe that was something that became like a Nintendo video game later. So I mean, really, yeah. I was like, that's got that is from something. What I would say is there's two things on this one which I didn't didn't get from the first one. Like there are a couple of screams where Halford does his whole high pitched thing, maybe not quite in um, on full throttle. Like, are you guys mm -hmm. both reading my notes here? <laughs> but he does. He just starts to hint at it, and you think, okay, that's Halford. He's not sounding like Jack Bruce here. That's Halford sounding like. Right. Halford. See, that's that's exactly what I got from this. But the only other thing that I can add. There was a great guitar solo in this one. 
Yes. Oh, dude. Yes. Solo, isn't it? I don't know if it's both yeah. of them. I didn't one. catch if it was harmony or not. I was cooking bacon and taters, so you know how well I can pay attention then. Well, it's got that, and then it's got yeah. like some other licks in between it. The guitar interplay was pretty cool. It was yeah. that was a really good solo, and it, it's the the song itself, lyrically speaking, is just it's it's not even lyrically good for the seventies. Yeah, yeah, it's so cliche, but yeah, it's not even <laughs> it's not good enough to be cliche. <laughs> but it was, but it's still a good song. They weren't right, so right, right. ridiculous that it would that it ruined it. Like I'm not yeah. a, a lyrics guy. I listen to death metal for God's sakes. Exactly. <laughs> there's a limit. There's a line you can't cross. Gene Simmons crosses that line on a weekly basis. Sure, sure, yeah. But <laughs> this didn't cross. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was right. just bad. Didn't cross the line. Whatever. It fits. Rock yeah. and roll, boy. Rock and roll, a girl. Let's have a yeah, good time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're going to drink 10 pints at night tonight. And so speaking of, I've I've got to tell you guys this story. So my wife and I and my youngest son went to see Judas Priest in 2008. We got to meet the band. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. And so my wife has no filter and um, she goes, I'm going to ask Rob Halford the rock and roll lyric question. She's like, I don't know what the lyrics are. So my wife thought that Rob was saying she's a good time fighter, tampon igniter, definite <laughs> 99. And I was like, that can't be the lyric. Well, so my wife asks Rob, are you saying tampon igniter in this song? And he goes, stand by for exciter. And she's like, no, no, no. He goes, you'll have to speak into my good ear. And I guess he's like hard of hearing in one ear. And so she asks him the question again. And he, the whole band just dies laughing. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, in England, we drink beer and it's in pints. And he goes, she's a 10 pint a nighter, not tampon igniter. <laughs> and to hear Rob Hufford say that to you, is like, it was incredible. So, nice. um, so that's my uh, rock and roll Judas Priest, Rob Halford story. <laughs> okay, one, I'm surprised Someone he still needs remember right it. Tampon right, exactly. <laughs> Someone needs to start a band called Tampon Igniter. Right. Okay, moving on, moving on. <laughs> okay. I got my nine-year-old's here. My 10-year-old now, 10-year-old. Happy yes. birthday. Happy birthday. Indeed, no, happy it, was, birthday. it was early. <laughs> so for the next, what's the name of the next track? I didn't get the titles for, for a little bit. Okay, the next one is like a kind of a, a suite of sorts. So there's like four different things. Oh, the winter uh, one. We'll call it, we'll yeah, call it win- winter. Winter, yeah. It's like winter, winter retreat, deep freeze, and cheater. Okay, so I guess we could go into winter. And this is probably the song that reminds me the most of, of Black Sabbath. And it's got that, you know, kind of heavy riff and... Um, I kind of like how the bass line goes with the vocal line. I was like, I've never really heard a band do that like that. I thought that was really cool about that song. Um, I remember when I first heard Rock and Roller when I was a kid, that this was the song that kind of like drew me in the most. And then I was like, oh, okay, this is because when I first heard Rock and Roller, I'd already heard a lot of their 80s stuff and all the 70s stuff other than this. And so I was like, man, this is so different. And so this was the song that I was like, ah, all right. This is a little more familiar to me. So, so yeah. 
Yeah, totally, totally very, very Black Sabbath, slow, bluesy riffs. I thought his vocals sounded like Jack Bruce again. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. yeah cool, cool riffs, man, you know. I really liked this one because it you had the full band riffs, and that's just something that I really like. Not for an all-the-time thing, but it's a very Led Zeppelin kind of thing that where everybody's right. on the same spot. And right. this was the, it, it, it's the first song that's finally metal, at least to an Alice Cooper style level yes. of, of what metal is. And it's right. the first time on this album that I start to hear something that makes me think this could actually be Judas Priest. Exactly. Yes. And that's kind of what I was getting at. This, this album is a lot like when we listen to Quiet Riot 2 featuring Randy Rhodes. Okay. It's, yeah, that makes sense. It, but now with that one, it was different because you we were listening to pre, you know, you know, pre-stardom Quiet Riot and pre-stardom Randy Rhodes as separate entities. But exactly. that's that's how this song. And then you know, it goes into Cheater. I liked that one, but it was bad. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, <laughs> it, it felt like okay, we're gonna really, really ape Led Zeppelin. We're gonna do our version of Since I've Been Loving You. Right. And oh man, I, I could totally see that. <laughs> let's, I mean, there, there's no point in beating around the bush. Rob Halford is playing a role that he's not meant for, right? On this album, mm -hmm. and that's true. It's you know, and I just I, I think that makes knowing what I know now makes some of the things more unbelievable, sure. Yeah, I could see that because I, I think lyrically rob didn't have very much to do with this first album because i think he joined like not long before they were going to go into the studio to record it and right. i don't think he was able to contribute many ideas you know it's so, the same so with that tipton. Makes sense. tipton only got little bits here and there his the true very cool songs true. he brings in are rejected for not being commercial enough right yeah it was kind of the kk ian hill show yeah, yeah, and I mean, it was their band leading up to that point. I get that. It's it's kind of like right. you know, for the longest time, Iron Maiden was the Steve Harris show because he's exactly been there the whole time. Yep, yep. for but sure. I I did like the Winter Suite, and you know, there's nothing on this album so far that I've really disliked. Right. So no, I I totally agree. I I just think um, yeah, they hadn't quite worked out what direction they were going to go in yet. Like Deep Freeze, I think that's the second part in this kind of suite. It's very much, to, to me, sounds like Dazed and Confused, Led Zeppelin, where, and the live versions where Jimmy Page goes off on that really affecty guitar solo, really right. kind of atmospheric, ambient, sort of noisy stuff. Very, very much like that. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, sorry, that's not Deep Freeze, it's Winter Retreat, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, it's all the same bit. It's fine. Yeah, it's yeah, it's and same then it bit. And it kind of yeah. goes into a ballady clean guitar bit that's a that is a bit hippie-ish. And you think, yeah. oh, this is kind of weird. Like <laughs> right. they, they kind of try everything out a little yeah, they bit did. about yeah. a minute. Right. Time exactly. On this suite. They tried every well, then that's this whole album is they tried everything. And right. But For sure. I think we are ready to move on to side two. Okay, yeah, side two. Yeah, we're speaking in vinyl terms here. We um, always do. When we can. Yes, yes. So this is uh, Never Satisfied. And uh, Never Satisfied, to me, 
is probably the closest thing that's Judas Priest sounding. You know, for me, what... for me, this one we get a full Halford. Yeah, yeah, we do. And the and the title is pretty apt for me. I was not satisfied. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they actually played this, you know, in two thousand and three. Halford solo band and um, Priest did did play this. Uh, yeah, I got to see him play it on their Epitaph tour. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Pretty cool. And so, yeah, um, live, it's fantastic. It's like, man, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really cool. Really cool riffs. That a, lot oh, I'm of sorry. These, a lot of these songs going through the Judas Priest filter of today or yeah. the last 40 years even would be a lot better than what we're hearing on the album. The songs right. ne- aren't necessarily bad, but they needed a different producer in the right. ones that I didn't enjoy. You know, right. Yeah, the production's totally a little bit. The production's like classic rock production, isn't it? Rather than metal, right? Um, mm. But I have put though. This is this is a track that I would describe this track as heavy metal. You know, right? Not metal metal, but it's heavy. It's definitely heavy metal. Not every track on this album is, but this one is. Yeah, um, I remember um, I was reading the Tony Iommi's biography, uh, Iron Man, which is another. Just, awesome book and he was talking about he goes we never really got the heavy metal thing he goes we always called ourselves heavy rock and to me that's kind of what this song is you know it's like a it's like a heavy rock or whatever i know people get so hung up on genres and tags and personally i don't really carry the way but i can i can kind of see something like that going into that kind of style in this this modern age we're whipping the whole concept of genre into a blender anyway so it doesn't matter yeah, yeah we really are and i personally i kind of prefer that hey and i'm here for it it's you know where yeah everything is different and the next out the next song on this album even whips everything into a blender so oh my gosh yeah i just want to say just before we move can i just say there was yeah. one bit never satisfied which is in 19 1916 time which i thought was pretty what cool the- that's that's a, like a prog thing, you know. They were at this stage; they were quite influenced by prog rock. And I thought, what is this time signature? And I, I'm quite, one of my little trademarks. One of the things that I'm quite good at doing is working out weird time signatures. Like pe- people challenge me to like work out strange prog rock track time signatures. <laughs> nice. Out this one. It's 1916. So there you go. Which oh, okay. it's the solo section. It's the solo yeah, section. It is, I yeah. think. Yeah, Just it's really weird. Skipping it, and I thought I'm gonna have to work this one out. <laughs> four, four plus an extra three quarters of a beat, which is just weird. But that is weird, you know. Yeah, it does work. It doesn't sound herky jerky, really. It just sounds like it's this goes on in a weird place or something. So, exactly. yeah, that's an interesting tidbit there. Yeah, man. And then right at the very end of that, when you get the proper, you get the full Halford scream. I think scream exactly. Yep. So we're right. on to Run of the Mill. Is that, is that of, it? Run of the yeah. Mill, yes. And my God, they've chosen some good titles. Right, um, right. <laughs> this, this one to me, it's a lot of unfulfilled promises on this one. It's, yeah, I could see that. It's, it, the flutes, I'm, I'm, we should have outlawed flutes with guitars at this point, unless you're <laughs> Jethro Tull or remotely <laughs> affiliated with Jethro Tull because only they know how to do it. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's the scream is there, and we're starting 
as we get closer to the back of the album, we're getting more and more of that Halford scream. Right. Very true. Awesome. Very true. Yeah. 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 I like this song quite a bit. Um, it's got a really great um, solo in it. Um, the solo section's really good. It's a good solo. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's totally that kind of... Um, I'm trying to think who who even solos. I think it starts as, I think it may be uh, KK Downing. I think he did. A, it's like you were, we were talking about earlier, Glenn and Rob kind of just joined. So, so yeah, it is a little bit uh, of a KK thing. So, but yeah, I really like this song quite a bit. It's kind of um, like you're saying with unfulfilled promises. <laughs> I can totally see that. It's like, man, that song could have been quite something. You know, There's a lot on this record and, you know, when, uh, when I say production, I don't mean, yeah. you know, the sound. I mean, the creative direction, the, the, you know, and there's a, most of this album isn't bad. So I'm not right. trying to flag this album by any stretch. But yeah. there are sections where it's, you know, my friend and I, a good friend of mine and I, we have a, we have a joke, with, and, you know, a joke between us when, when we get something that falls flat, all the pieces mm-hmm. are there. We just got to get them in the right order. Right. And there's a lot of that on this album. There really is. All they, they could really just change this, change that. And one of the things I had in my notes in the second song was it was up tempo compared uh-huh. to the first song. Right. We don't have any of the Judas Priest up tempo rock. Right. It's not here. Yeah. And yeah. It's just not really. Yeah, it is. It's pretty kind of plotting. It's like it's not even mid tempo most of the time. Yeah. It's it's somewhere between down and mid. I don't know what you right. would call that quarter yeah. tempo. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I needed some yeah, sure. or something. Just you know, just, <laughs> right. just a quick yeah, bump on the lines, guys. Just, I mean, just the drummer. Give the drummer a bump. They did give a the drummer a bump. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I totally, uh, totally agree. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with this song, "Run of the Mill," like, it's it, it's quite a good song, but why is it eight minutes thirty-one? That's to me, that's a bit strange. Like. I don't know, man. The, the guitar solo, I, I did like it a lot, but it kind of went on and on and on. And then sure. it got six and a half minutes. And I thought, hang on, how long is this song? And I was like, oh, <laughs> right. okay, eight and a half minutes. Right. I can tell you why it was eight and a half minutes long. Okay. Because the album was only 38. Right. If that, al- if that, song, if that song is at the proper timeline, the pro- proper length, the album's only 30 minutes long. <laughs> we, were, we were talking about that the other day like <laughs> album lengths you know and an album shit's um, got to be between 35 and 45 you got to get there right and, and so yeah they hadn't bumped that one up to crazy amounts so we wouldn't have gotten there it's then right it's tucked in on the second side where you know like that's like right field is where you put the guys that can't play defense <laughs> right yeah second track second side is where you put your weak stuff yeah yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it's funny because like it's got so much potential. So it does. I this think that's whole, the that's this whole album though. Right. That's true. That is true. There is nothing. I mean, there is nothing here that is perfect, and there right. is nothing here that is irredeemable yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not yeah. like it's. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm foreshadowing. 
Should we yeah, move on? I think I'm, I may I may know what you're talking about, and I've got, I've got a story about that too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. let's move on to "Dying to Meet You." As long as I've got my my titles in the right spot. Yes. Yep. Dying to meet you. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here dying to meet got, you. Yeah. Here we've got Rob Halford singing baritone. This cannot yeah. be redeemed. Burn it. Yeah. <laughs> no, burn it. Don't burn it. Burn okay. It. Okay. <laughs> I quite like this song. I know what you mean. Yeah, the vocals are strange, but um, mm -hmm. I kind of. Like the thing about it is, he sings baritone really well. Yeah. But still, burn it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Do you want to hear that or whatever? But I it's think like, it just depends you, on. Do you want to hear Kirk Hammett play flamenco? Right. Dude probably yeah. can. Yeah, but yeah. It's just, it's all about context and um, the contexts in some cases on this album are just bizarre. And so I totally understand that. It, it, um, I, the weirdest thing about this song is halfway through, it becomes an Almond Brothers tune. <laughs> oh yeah. Dun, 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 yeah, I, like, I get that. What the hell? <laughs> right. And it's like, I really think it could have been like, it's another kind of could have been thing. You know, um, I kind of like the riff that it starts with. Dun, 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 dun. I love that. That's great. You know, yeah, you know? That but, nice threatening riff. Right. And then, like you said, like you were saying, it turns into this weird, like kind of almost happy ish kind of thing, you know, and Rob's vocals are really cool there, but yeah, the riff just kind of, I don't know. And then the drums, I wish the drums sounded a little bigger. I just think that, yeah, <laughs> you know. You know, all, all kidding aside, it's it's not a terrible song. Right. Except for that Almond Brothers part, that I don't know how that made it through anybody's filter. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's just one of those things where they had the wrong producer for the album. Yeah. And you know, there's the famous story of Mutt Lang screaming at Joe Elliott to sing higher. Oh, wow. My God, we needed Mutt Lang on this track. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing is, I don't know, because I've put, it's a bit stuck between early 70s rock and heavy metal. And I think that's the whole thing with this album. It's like, I guess, look, it's 1974. So with, with with the benefit of hindsight, we can say, look, why don't they just ramp it up a bit? Why didn't they make it a bit more metal? And it kind of seems obvious to us now. But I, I suppose in 1974, these these ideas hadn't quite, that separation hadn't quite come into play yet. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, in, okay, and even looking back with 2020 hindsight, how many bands can you say from 1974 were by today's standards heavy metal exactly right about, they're just one yeah there's like a handful we have one there was know, sabbath very you know, people say it that, was. You know, people say oh you know led zeppelin was metal no they weren't people say deep purple was metal good lord seriously no steppenwolf no there was one yeah band that was metal and yeah that's it, it. so you know i'm sorry exactly. <laughs> and i mean some of that other stuff may have been proto metal or whatever, but yeah, proto metal is not. But proto metal is not metal. Metal, exactly. You, you know, know, it's you know, you look at Kiss, you look at Led Zeppelin, you look at Steppenwolf, Iron Butterfly, Jimi Hendrix. Even these yeah. bands are the guy or the these are the the bands that what became the first generation of real metal loved. Right. 
doesn't right. make those guys metal. Sabbath, exactly. however, was metal. Right. They were writing stuff that was sinister sounding and just gave you goosebumps and, you know, all oh, these yeah. minor keys. And yeah, like you're saying, it, it was metal. You listen to Steppenwolf. Absolutely was. Steppenwolf's hard rock, but in then, yeah. you know, Iron Butterfly is known for being too stoned to say in the Garden of Eden. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Which is decidedly not metal. Uh, yeah. No, not so much. You know, it's like, I think it's the whole package. You're talking about it. And um, it's like Black Sabbath, the whole package. Led right. Zeppelin had heavy riffs, but all the other stuff just didn't combine them to make the whole package. Black Sabbath did. They right. had the evil sounding lyrics and the, you know, Ozzy kind of had that really off kilter kind of creepy voice at times. Yeah. And, and uh, he, because he couldn't sing, he was just, a, just, just a, just a hair out of key. Exactly. And then it's unnerving. <laughs> right. Exactly. No yep. one else had that package as you that's a great way of putting it so when yeah. you say you look at this band in 1974 and they're standing in you know they got they're standing um on a creek right yeah one side's metal one side's rock you got sabbath on one side you got zeppelin on the other and they don't right. know where to go right yep exactly. yeah man and it's, that's exactly it at this point led zeppelin's not a fad black sabbath is not a fad Right. But is what but the genre of music Black Sabbath is playing could be. What Led Zeppelin is playing, no, that's not a fad. That's blues based rock. And you know, it's been going for a while and it's still going. And yeah. Exactly. It, it's never going away. No. It's not gonna happen. But what Sabbath was doing and could have gone in 1975. Hell, Sabbath tried exactly. to kill it in 1976. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they did. <laughs> They it's failed, fun. thank God, but they no, did. no, right, right, right. They tried, so it, right. it's it's easy to see why they couldn't fully commit yet. Right. Well, yeah, I don't think the sound was such a new sound, and um, the you know going to Sabbath again, like the critics hated Sabbath, and but it's like they were selling so many records. They were obviously people were obviously resonating with it, so. And- Black Sabbath being on the vanguard of a movement is no different than any vanguard of any movement. Right. Critics always yep. hate it because it's new. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, and this the, isn't like blah, blah, blah. Right, and the labels hate it because it's new. And the program directors hated it because it was new. Right. Yep. But we all grow tired of things. Right. And yep. the, the construct of the labels, of the critics, of the of the program directors is to maintain what they know makes money for as long as possible. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, awesome. read musical criticism at glaciallymusical.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> glaciallymusical.blogspot.com. Excuse me. Yay. <laughs> nice. But I do mind I... weird, so it's fine. Um, and I also, <laughs> I like weird music, but I mean, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. So it's, you know, when you, when you get down to it, it's, it's a strange record. It's not a bad mm-hmm. record. Right. It's what I was telling Duncan before we, before you came on was if this album had been recorded six months earlier or six months later, either way, it would have been a completely different album. 
That's true. Stuff was changing so rapidly around that time. And I'm just talking about the music that's on this album. Right. Okay. Yeah. Six months earlier, you've got Hippie Dippy Led Zeppelin. Six months later, you've got Black Sabbath. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And if you go 18 months after that, you've got Judas Priest. Yeah, you got Sad Wings of Destiny, which is like, oh my God, you know, I mean, you can't deny that record. You just right. can't. And that's, that's <laughs> what's so fascinating about this album is it right. could have been so many things. It right. doesn't know what it is, mm-hmm. but it knows it's something. Right. That's very true. That is very true. And, and you know, speaking of the last song, we, we didn't get to the last oh, I'm sorry. instrumental I'm sorry. bit, oh, yeah, we <laughs> the last little instrumental bit, that caviar and, and maths or whatever. How however you say it um it's like only it's like a two minute little thing you know initially it was supposed to be like some 10 minute deal and the old lead singer alan atkins like wrote a lot of that and um i've seen interviews with him talking about how um how expanded you know how expanded that was supposed to be but the producer roger bain was the one that cut it down to the two some odd minutes because uh, you can tell it fades in and then fades out and there's a lot more to it and it'd be interesting to hear the rest of that and see what came before and what came after you know i'm gonna go ahead and disagree there uh-huh. <laughs> okay not because of the song itself yeah just because as a rule i don't want cut material right i feel that if it made if it didn't make it to the album there's probably a reason Mm-hmm. that's just that's just yeah. me sure yeah yeah i'd still be curious to hear it though but yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying I'd and also to hear it but keeping in mind that philosophy also saves me a lot of money on re-releases <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Like, yeah apparently there's a new re-release coming of coverdale page which is going to be like four or five lps no nah, i'm good i don't need that cut stuff <laughs> right yeah yeah, there's. I've got some re-releases of some of the Deep Purple, like that whole, like In Rock Fireball Machine Head era stuff. That there was some stuff like quite a few songs cut off. That man, some some of the stuff I'm like, uh, yeah, I like some of the stuff that got cut off better than the stuff that's on the record. I mean, yeah. it, it's all down to personal opinion, of course. It's but, you um, know, for me, it's it's there's a couple of reasons. Like I I I will purchase a re-release if it's cheaper. If I don't sure. have it. Like yeah. I, I picked up uh, last week, I finally got my copy of Black Sabbath Dehumanizer in the mail. Oh, that's a good record. Uh, I cool. got the 2019 repress of the 2010 IRS okay. repress. Okay. I mean, it's, a re- it's literally a repress of a repress. <laughs> of but course. It was $32 before they charged me $15 for shipping and handling somehow. Jeez. And then took a month to get it to me, even though it was in Ugh. stock. So, I mean, I'm not bitter, and I'm not still thinking about this. Yeah. But, like, the second disc is all songs from the first disc. Weird. Okay. It's like, oh, I can hear the single version or the Wayne's World version of Time Machine. Hooray. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to, I don't know that I need to put on disc two ever. Right. Yeah, I get that. To me, radio edits and single versions are, like, kind of, I don't understand that. I agree. I agree there. I totally agree with that. To me, that's a waste. 
it's more of a curiosity you know it's not real like the the, the first three songs are like those radio edits right yeah then they've got six songs to fill out the rest of the lp of a concert from 1992 okay from that it's like oh you gave me three remakes of songs that are on this album when you could have given me more live material exactly i said i'd rather just hear that show from that era because it just it's not out there right it's like yeah okay you kind of you kind of punched me in the cross there but right <laughs> i totally agree with that it's I totally but i mean agree. i when i'm just not big on i'm not big on repurchasing albums anymore and sure i've gotten to the point where i have albums that i purchased five to six times yeah wow and I, a- I mean, I feel like a dumbass. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm bragging here. And yeah. Especially since, you know, I'm, I'm 45. I have gone from records to cassettes to CDs to MP3s to records again. To records. <laughs> yep. Me. That's my exact same trajectory. And that's what, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. when, and I, I spent, um, and I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast. I'll tell it now. Not. 2020 but in 2019 my father's day gift for my wife and daughter was a certificate allowing me to purchase any record i wanted regardless of cost yeah which was a mistake because <laughs> there's some i have expensive tastes and sure what i chose was coverdale page that's the one you chose huh that is what i chose you don't okay. like coverdale page I love that record. Okay, I was going to say, we were almost enemies. but <laughs> No, I, that's a great record. I, I, got, I remember when it came out, I was like, this is so good. <laughs> uh, it came out and I hated it. I got back into it. Really? Yeah, oh, long wow. story. Anyway, okay. no, I no, love it I'll, now. I've, I, made, I made my piece and I, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I had to order it from Brazil. Now that's going to come out again. I'm like, well, I already dropped a hundred bucks on that thing. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I, it was only pressed in Brazil, the UK, and South Korea. Oh wow! Crazy. The the what a lot of people don't realize about records and vinyl is the most expensive stuff is '90s stuff. Yeah, because they were mostly pressed as a novelty. Mm. Yeah, because nine the '90s was there was a huge like not backlash but like vinyls was like oh you know no, well, that's when they just start that's when they started like closing the record pressing plants down. Yep, and like getting rid of the like literally getting rid of the technology or abandoning record pressing plants and just letting them rot basically. Right in 1991, Metallica's Black album is probably the first album I owned I've ever owned in terms of chronology, like yeah. when it came out. That was like I remember looking at the back of my CDs when I got like my CD player in 1992, right? Yeah, you know it mm-hmm. had AAD ADD. The black oh, yeah. album was the D-D-D. first. No, it was ADD. So I, was I, it? Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. But all the AAD versions sounded like crap back then. Yeah, they did. Because they didn't know how to do it. Now they know how to do right. it, but still, they can go to hell. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I prefer the vinyl listening experience more than just right. the same. Yeah. Because for it's, sure. it's, it's harder. You know, it's not just me hitting shuffle on my phone. And sitting on, yeah, it's like you, you got you got to put more into it, right? And exactly. It's more it's more of an experience. It's more of a I don't know. You just get more into it, and I like looking at the art if it's cool, you know. And it's oh, bigger on the vinyl sleeve, obviously. 
Right. And I, gatefold you know, records and all that shit. And, I don't like no, it. it I don't know. Really? <laughs> I don't like it's it's unwieldy with a pull amount of sure. Oh, I like gatefold. I do okay. like gatefold. Look, I know it's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> you can't what I really, and not what like I really hate is triple gatefolds. <laughs> I've got this? like four or five triple gatefolds, and man, I gotta hate that stuff. I've got I've got a yes songs. Um, yes, me too. Actually, I've got, I've got that. Yes, he folds out like four times. Yeah, no, and I no, and it's it's make it as easy as possible for me to get that damn thing out because I got to switch right. records. <laughs> Especially my, so, yeah. you know, I've, I've got like like Metallica's S and M S and M two. I got two, that. Yeah, I've got that. You know the four out the four LP set. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love how that thing works, man. It's an accordion. There's no it gate folds, but it's just easy. It's just like yeah, it's like four that little too. things like, man, the stuck they, together. Stuck together. Yep. I thought it was cool the way they did that. It is. It's really cool. Did you get the one that's like the half and half? No, I got black. Oh, you got black. Okay. I I got the half and half. It's like orange and blue or something crazy. Did you have to buy that? Didn't you have to buy that like as a package though? I don't think so. It's about a hundred bucks. It really wasn't that bad. See, I didn't want the package. I just wanted the album. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't do concert videos anymore, really. Uh, Okay. I, buy I just them, watched watch it last them. night. <laughs> Fair enough. I buy yeah. them. I watch them once and I never watch them again. Really? And I'm like, why am I spending that money? I can go to the library and borrow it, watch it, take it back, buy the soundtrack. Right, right. Yeah, good point. Which is what I do now. Yeah, sure. sure. That's just me. But my yeah, God, we cool. are rambling and... Whew. There's one more track left. We need to cover the very last track of this. What, this uh, bonus track? No, the, the, we didn't do Diamonds and Rust. Did I we? thought we did. It's diamonds no, and we diamonds no, and rust that's, actually. That's not on the vinyl, yeah, a, like the original a, oh, release. Wow, okay, it's a so, bonus track. Diamonds oh, and rust actually yeah. came out officially on. Oh, Sin that's After the Sin. cover. Oh yeah, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I was on Sin After Sin, but they did record it twice, and it was originally supposed to come out on Sad Wings of Destiny or something. I can't remember, right. but yeah, it's it's actually some kind of CD bonus track. Oh yeah, it's a John Baez cover as well. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, John Baez cover. I, yep. I, I missed that, and I just counted that as part of the album. So. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the whole thing ends with caviar and Mets Then that's re- that's a really yeah. weird end to the album. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. It's like it's such a bizarre way for it to end. Just a two minute in and out kind of thing. <sighs> totally. Totally. Wow. Well, listen, I enjoyed <laughs> this album, um, and I liked it. Um, I think, you know, th- there is a lot there that hints at what Judas Priest did go on to become. Um, I think yeah. it's kind of, you know, they hadn't worked out what they wanted to be yet. It's a little bit kind of confused. Um, mm-hmm. And they maybe haven't quite honed their songwriting yet, you know? Oh, for sure. Um, and I guess the production's not, it's just not metal production, is it? You know, it's like right. a slight- weaker kind of classic rock production um but people should listen to this though everyone should check this record out so oh yeah i saying, totally agree for me i'm sorry th- this is an album where the if they had waited i think they should have waited 90 days yeah so if they would waited 90 days to record it this album probably would have morphed into an abject classic yeah now what it is is this album that's a little confused. Yep. It's it's on the cusp of a movement 
and it hasn't decided if it's jumping in line. Right. Yeah, so, totally. And you know, it's funny, the band even agrees with that sentiment, you know? I mean, they very, very rarely play songs from the album. Like, like I said, I've seen Priest like nine or ten times. I've seen them play a song from this album once. And, yeah. um, you know, it was never satisfied, which I'm was surprised fantastic, even, to be fair. I'm surprised you've even seen that one. But the, <laughs> yeah, we on this show, we have one rating. Do you spin it or do you bin it? I say spin yeah. it. I say spin it. Yeah. yeah, definitely spin it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, good album. Totally not perfect album, but good album worth hearing. Piece of history. And uh, there, are, there are hints, some, some nice hints there of what was, uh, that, what was to come. And some pretty cool songs and some great riffs, you know. This sure. album is the perfect example of what we're doing here. It's an album that's not great. It's not terrible. It's not great. But there's, you need to hear it. And right. I would say probably 80% of Judas Priest fans haven't heard this album. And 99% of heavy rock and heavy metal fans haven't heard it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, I talk to people that are into priests, you know, and they've never heard it, you know. Because um, some people think Sad Wings of Destiny is the first record. <laughs> so. And you know what? This band really isn't Judas Priest. Because yeah. the people writing it were the people that were Judas Priest. Not exactly. Judas Priest. So yep. it's, you've got, you, you know, it's, I, the guitar player for Ted Nugent, I forget his name, guitar player singer. He said, you know, when you change, when you change cards, when you change band members, you're changing cards in your hand and you don't have the same hand anymore. Right. So now you've yep. got these people bending to fit in to a previous mold, which is why with a little bit of patience, we would have had a much better album. Right. Yeah, that's very true. They just, they got the, um, I mean, the label, they signed to the label, before Glenn Tipton was even in the band, they suggested to the band to get a saxophone or a horn player or something like that. And they were like, eh, we don't want to do that. How about we get another guitar player? So they oh my literally God, the suggested that. Oh, yeah. The label suggested right wow. after this is when Dark Side of the Moon is blowing up. Yeah. And, you know, quite honestly, they're not as close as they'd like to be, but they're probably not as far away from Pink Floyd as most Judas Priest fans would like them to be at this point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, exactly. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. They I all, just wanted to put in, I haven't said this, the, the whole thing reminded me slightly of Wishbone Ash as well. I think that must have been an influence. I think you know, so. Yeah, yeah, the whole two guitar thing, totally. Yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've mentioned Wishbone Ash being an well, influence on them, so... You, yeah. you bringing up that he was brought in after the, the deal was signed, that the Tipton was brought in late, it makes sense because we don't have that twin gun attack yet. No, not yet. They That's just right. they, There's a bit of harmony stuff, but not much yet, for sure. It's yeah. not that Judas Priest, you know, it's, it's just not, for lack of a better term, it's just not that ball to the wall Judas Priest, we know. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, they're, they're close, they're, they're inching towards it, and I'm just repeating myself, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I'm, I'm really glad I heard that. Um, yeah, well worth listening to. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again for having me, guys. I'm, hey, I'm glad you let you. me select this record. And, uh, you know, I'm, right. I'm glad that it's something that you guys weren't familiar with because it makes it more enjoyable to talk about. 
see the the what we try to do on these you know <clears throat> what and i think i mentioned this before what, what made this a great selection is one we haven't heard it and yeah. two we weren't planning on covering it yeah so nice. you filled a hole you filled two nice man yay <laughs> but before we go one more time richie okay. where can people check out your music and i trust okay. me check it out thanks man um uh, yeah i'm, I'm thanks again nick for picking up a copy and i'm glad you liked it and um i know we were speaking in messenger a couple days ago and you were i think you were listening to the record when we were, yes, were talking and you were said something did i just hear horns on there and i was like yeah and, and i was i was kind of like oh is he gonna hate it is he, you know what i mean um because we were nervous completely nervous but we were like this is what we want to do and we just I don't know. We just, that's what we heard, you know? So, so anyway, yeah. yeah um, it's, it's easy it's, to uh, get me on board. I'm the guy that loves Lulu. Really? I love it. I, I do too. <laughs> love that record. It's, so, oh my God. That's great. I don't, I had to the buy, only I had other to, person. I bought a copy on vinyl from the UK because I couldn't find one in America. Ah, yeah. I'd love to get that on vinyl because I'm sure you can get complete. it on their website. <sighs> Damn. You can get it now. Damn it. Damn it. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Go my wife, um, her father is like huge, hugely read fan, so so she likes it too. But anyway, yeah, Grave Huffer. Uh Bandcamp, gravehuffer.bandcamp.com. Everything's pretty much there. We got links to our social media from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram there. Uh all the s- digital streaming sites, I can guarantee you, you Google Grave Huffer and you'll find it. Awesome. I also, before we go, this will be the last thing I say. Uh, Richie, okay. thank, you, thank you very much. I appreciate thank it. I also want to point out that Richie and I live in the same state. You yes. never guess from the accents. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, I'm in southwest Missouri. And so, yeah, across, across, across the state. Yeah. Based that, you know, comparatively, it's a whole other world. <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for coming. Uh, do you have anything yeah, else, Duncan? Thank you so much. No, thanks, Duncan. Yeah, thanks, Richie. And I think we're gonna chat on Instagram live at some point um, next month or something, aren't we? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, great. that's right. That's right. Yeah, that'll be fun. Totally. All right. Totally. Um, thank you very much, right. everybody, for listening. All right. Thanks, thank you. Guys. Bye. See you. Good night.